change happens when you have a baby, especially your first baby. Change will happen because all of a sudden you realize how unbelievably selfish you are. You realize how much time you really like to yourself. You realize how much you like to eat a dinner sitting down. You like the fact that uh, you will come home and you will see the house as you left it. Not only not messy, but not broken. Change happens all throughout when we have children. It, it is probably the most significant change that can happen in one's life of having a baby. And Easter ushers into human history the greatest and most significant change that our world has ever seen or ever known. This, this morning, I want to talk about three specific points about this Easter Sunday. It's all surrounding the resurrection. It, you notice our songs really reflect that, and, and this, the coming songs will reflect that as well. Here are my three things I want to cover with you this morning. Number one, what is it? What is the resurrection? Number two, why should we believe it? Why should we give it the time of day? And number three, how does it apply to our lives. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all describe the events of Jesus' life. They describe his death. They, they describe the in-between time, and they describe the resurrection. And I want to begin our discussion this morning by looking at Matthew chapter 28. So if you have your Bibles, we've been really, really pushing this uh, for quite some time to bring your Bibles. So if you have those, open up to Matthew chapter 28. If you're new to the Bible, new to church, Matthew is the very first book of the New Testament. That is the second half of the Bible. So if you go about halfway to the Bible and then go another inch or so to the right, you'll find the very first book, Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. It's creatively named Matthew because Matthew wrote it. And here is how it goes. Then the angel spoke to the woman. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He has been raised from the dead just as he said it would happen. Come and see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead. And he is going ahead of you to Galilee. And you will see him there. Remember, I have told you. In other words, when you get there, don't forget I, the messenger of the Lord, told you this. Now, all other religions of the day, even secular living, provides a list of things that we must do. Uh, a list of, of categories or events or, or actions that we must do in order to achieve, either to please a God or to otherwise find personal significance in a world without God. But Christianity calls a timeout on this. A penalty flag, if you would. And it begins to say there's a different part of the conversation. Why? Because it's impossible. We can't work our way to God. We can't set out today and begin to work hard in order to get to God. You know this. The human heart is too self-absorbed. The human heart is too focused on 
uh, personal pleasures or, and, and you might say it's too morally weak. We see that even in the news today, the morality of even what is going on with the churches in Sri Lanka, if you turned on the news. Hundreds killed in worshiping churches on Easter morning today. And the death toll rising. Multiple bomb explosions this morning and multiple churches. Morally weak. If you read the Bible, it will say that the heart is too sinful. That's the way the Bible puts it. And so God comes to us. We don't go to Him. And we see that even in the Easter story. Don't forget, I told you. Don't forget, I came to you. Jesus became a man, a man who lived a perfect life and died on a cross in our place for our sins. We just talked about that. And three days later, Jesus Christ, this man, rose from the dead. And over the next several days and weeks, Jesus appeared before a vast array of people, small groups, large groups, individuals, in a brand new material and immaterial body to the likes the world has never seen or never heard of ever since. In fact, John says, and I love this, he had breakfast with them. The risen Lord, with a lot of work to do, takes time to have some breakfast. This allowed Jesus to be touched, to be seen to have conversations with and at the same time enable him to walk through walls to appear and disappear at a moment's notice no longer man but man and God raised death defeated and today that means that Jesus is just on the other side of sight he's present He's here. You see, the resurrection is proof. In a world that's looking for proof, in a world that, that wants answers, in a world that wants to argue, the resurrection is proof. The resurrection validates, proves Jesus' claim to be God and proves he is in fact true. But it also proves that the death of Jesus pays our debt once and for all. Complete. That our tab, our penalty, our debt is wiped clean. It has satisfied a holy God who up until that time had a list of requirements to make things right. This morning is a reminder it is finished. And it's not finished as it was on Good Friday, as Jesus breathed his last. It is finished, that is, that there is a new covenant, there is a new day, there is a new start, and there's a new day for you. This payment has been made in full. So that's what the resurrection is. Now let's transition to why should we believe it. Before we jump there, I want to personalize this resurrection. When I was in college and just out of college, I lived for me. I lived for Brian. I lived for my own pleasure. I lived for riches and success. 
I lived for education. I lived working my way up the ladder. And I found myself one night in a bar with two drinks, going crazy with friends. And the Lord met me. I didn't go to church. I didn't go on a retreat. I didn't go on a mission trip. The Lord came to me. And it was almost like this matrix experience. And that night, I wrestled with the resurrection. And I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I was no longer the one who was in charge. God met me in my sin. And it changed everything. The risen, resurrected Jesus changed my life. And so why? Why did I believe that the resurrection was true? Why should you believe or stake your life on the resurrection to be true? What is the evidence that Christianity offers? As a former police officer and investigator, I, I, I think from a court mindset, especially when it comes to Christianity. And I want to take you to a court case, a very famous court case that took place in the first century, 25 years after Jesus was raised from the dead. Uh, probably the most famous court case. It's found in Acts chapter 26. And so if you have your Bibles, open that up. There's the Apostle Paul. We can call him the super Jew. The Apostle Paul is a super Jew turned Christ follower. He's now facing the highest court in all of Israel. It would be equivalent to our Supreme Court, uh, but much more intense because this court had the ability to cast judgment not only on law, but individual. And the Apostle Paul is standing before this court and king, the king, King Agrippa, and the Roman governor Festus, uh, since you guys get a lot of sleep, Alex and Amanda, maybe if you have another boy, you can grab Agrippa or Festus for your next name. I think they'll be, that name will be available for you. So this is the court, right? King Agrippa's there. And the next ruling power, really the only two ruling powers in all of the area is Agrippa and Festus. Festus is a secularist who's there. And the defense that Paul makes rests solely on the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And so let's, let's look at that. Acts chapter 26, starting in verse 6. He says, now I am on trial. He's speaking to the court. Now I am on trial because I am looking forward to the fulfillment of God's promise. Remember that word made to our ancestors. Verse 7. In fact, that is why the 12 tribes of Israel worship God night and day. And they share the same hope. Remember that. We'll come back to that that I have. Yet, O king, they say it is wrong for me to have this hope. Why does this seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? <coughs> Paul's a little bold in his defense of himself. He's calling out the people who are trying him, and he's making them defend. Paul is saying, look, where in the world is your imagination? Why are you so limited? Why are you so, so short-sighted in your ability to comprehend the raising of the dead? Just because you can't picture it doesn't mean it's not possible. Paul is in, in essence saying, much like what we will do today, is say, look, just because you can't picture it doesn't mean it didn't happen. 
Because even back then, even in the first century church, no one applied reason, especially reason in science, with that kind of an argument. In fact, they thought the opposite. They thought, hey, if, even if I can't picture it, that means there's got to be more. And that went on to create all different seasons of great discovery. And so Paul is using secular reasoning to King Agrippa and to the Roman governor Festus to say, yes, use your imagination. There's got to be more out there, but it's even more than just the imagination. Let's jump to verses 22 through 23. Paul says this, I teach nothing except what the prophets of Moses said would happen. Remember who he's speaking to. This governor and this king knew their scriptures. They knew the writings. They knew the prophecies. I teach nothing except what the prophets and the Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead as a light to the Jews and the Gentiles alike. Messiah is an Old Testament concept. It literally means anointed one. It's a term for the coming of king and kings. It's a term for the Lord, a term for deity. And so Paul says, listen, you who are in control of all this land, you Jews should not find this so incredible. It's been prophesied for quite some time. You know this. You read throughout the entire Old Testament. You know this. You've been reading about this from, from when you were a little boy. You knew this would happen. And then let's pick it up in verse 24. I, I love God's sense of humor. Suddenly, Festus shouted. You ever be in a reasonable conversation with someone and then they get heated? Or they get louder? So if you feel like your arguments are not being heard or that you're losing in the debate, if you get louder or taller, maybe you'll win. I don't know how tall Festus was. I picture him a short little plump guy. <laughs> Suddenly Festus shouted, Paul, you are insane. Too much study has made you crazy. But Paul replied, I'm not insane. Most excellent Festus. A little sarcasm there. I am speaking this sober. Remember the words I told you about promise and hope. I am speaking sober truth. Now, truth for us in a world of fake news or non fake news or what you can uh, count on and what you can't count on, uh, it wasn't back then. Back then, truth held something very, very high. I am speaking the sober truth. And King Agrippa, he knows about these things. Now he's speaking past Agrippa. I speak frankly, for I am sure these events are all familiar to him. For they were not done in a corner. They weren't done in secret. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Punches being thrown at King Agrippa. King Agrippa, you and I both know you believe the prophets. And the prophet said that Messiah would come, be killed, and raised again. Why are you getting on my back about the resurrection? You and I both knew this was going to happen. 
it gets better. Agrippa interrupts him. Do you think you can make me a Christian so quickly? If we're not careful, we miss something here. I want us to wrestle for just a moment through this reality TV show that's appearing right before our eyes. Any reality TV show fans in this room that you'd like to admit? Not one of you is truthful. <laughs> Liars on Easter. Well, this is reality court TV. Man, punches are being thrown. Words are being slung around in that courtroom. It's happening right here, right now. They, the highest court in the land is struggling with the resurrection right before our eyes. And what I want to wrestle with is how does this little slice of history help us with the resurrection? Two points. Number one, Paul is staking his life on the resurrection of Jesus. Paul is literally, he knows his life is on the line. And so why not go out with a bang? Why not call out King Agrippa? Why not call out Festus? Because he knows what they're thinking. Their words might not show it, but in their hearts, in their minds, he knows they're wrestling with the reality of the resurrection. The highest criminal court in all of Israel. No one dies for a lie. And he uses the word truth. Number two, how does this help us? Paul's enemies don't deny it. Agrippa and Festus don't come back and go, hold on, don't throw us in that category. We do not believe in the resurrection. It was a false. 25 years of lies have gone on. They go on today. It did not happen. Nowhere do we see it in scripture. Nowhere do we see it in secular documentation of history. Do we see a blatant or even slight pushback on the resurrection? Why is that? Because it was a factual event. In fact, there is more permissible evidence, historic permissible evidence of the resurrection than almost anywhere else in Roman history events that it happened. And that's not just Bible speaking. That is like Newsweek and Time Magazine and Fox News and CNN. There is more historical proof of Jesus. And so why did King Agrippa, why did Festus not push back? Because it happened. It would be like you and I saying 9-11 didn't happen. That was, that's a made-up story. There's not a single person in this room that would go, hold on. Yeah, actually, that didn't happen. All of you would stand up and go, you're crazy. We're going to another church. Why? Because you saw it. You experienced it. You felt it. And now take that same reasoning and apply it to the resurrection of Jesus. They don't fight back because they know it's true. Paul says, King Agrippa, you know this happened. You believe it. You know this wasn't done in secret. And what's so exciting about this case is you have the two most prominent people in all of the land not fighting back, not pushing back, not even a slight nudge on the truth of the resurrection. They didn't argue the facts. They did what often happens. 
they argued against their imagination to fit those facts into their worldview. Because when facts are presented with, uh, to us and they don't fit into our worldview, we push back. We don't like it because it makes no sense to me. So I'm going to resist it. And when it didn't fit emotionally, mentally, politically, culturally, they do what's often done today is they fight back with distraction. And we see this today. You might see this in your own heart. You might see this on your own reasoning as you are entertaining conversations where your worldview is so set, it's so in a box, and Jesus comes in, this resurrection comes in, and it doesn't fit the box. Hearts and minds like Festus and Agrippa close because the facts, they make us uncomfortable. And they don't fit our neat worldview. I want to encourage you, don't let this happen. Don't let this happen to you. Don't let it happen to your loved ones. Okay, having covered what the resurrection is, why we should contemplate the resurrection and believe it, we now wrestle with how does this apply? Because friends, Jesus is here. He has risen. He is here. He is powerful. He knows every hair on your head. He knows your yesterday. He knows your tomorrow. He knows when you're an idiot. He knows when you're brilliant. He knows when you're patient. He knows when you lose it. He knows you. And he has risen for you. And so how do we apply that truth? Knowing that, that God knows what makes us smile and what makes us cry. How do we apply that truth into our everyday life? What does the resurrection mean? Here's the first one. Number one, the resurrection means Jesus is king, not you. Not you, not me. You're not king. Paul, this is what Paul is getting at in verse 23. He says this, I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead as a light to Jews and Gentiles alike. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the king. Jesus is in charge. Jesus calls the shots. And the very first part of walking with Christ is you need to get over yourself. You're not in charge. And there are hundreds of us that could give testimony after testimony of trying to be in charge of life. And it just doesn't work out. You aren't king. And if that rubs you wrong, if, if that irritates you, if that makes you angry, I'm sorry. But I'm not sorry. Because it's truth. Growing up, I struggled with authority. I struggled with directions. I struggled with rules. I struggled with regulations. I met Jesus, thank God, and I wrestled with control even with Him. As a kid, I ran from the police. And then I went on to be a police. <laughs> and even in the, the police academy, I was yelled at and broken down and, and realized I'm not in charge. There's a hierarchy. 
broken down, broken down and broken down and yelled at and God broke me. And I can say to you today, I am so thankful I am not in charge of my life. I am so thankful that I don't rule. I'm so thankful that I'm not always right, that there is a higher power that is God, the creator, that is ruler of my life. And the resurrection means that Jesus reigns in kindness and goodness and holiness in grace in every square inch of this world. Do you know this Jesus? Have you experienced this Jesus? I don't mean theoretically or abstractly. I mean functionally. Have you experienced Jesus? Is he your king today? Or is today just another day to have another donut? Not that that's bad. So what does the resurrection mean? The resurrection means Jesus is the king, not you. Number two, the Lord. Indeed. Or the wind. That was creepy. All right. If you're listening online, you just had to be here. All right, number two, the resurrection fills life with hope. Need a little hope today? Need a little hope this afternoon? Need a little hope at bedtime? It fills life with meaning and hope and identity. Let's go back to verse 6 of chapter 26 in the book of Acts. It says, now I am on trial because I'm looking forward to the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. I'm looking forward. Paul roots his hope on the crucifixion of Good Friday and the resurrection of Easter Sunday. Hope. And this is critical for our faith. Because what we believe about the future controls how we experience today. For if you have a hope for the future, it gives you strength today. It's why for a lot of us, when we travel to third world countries and we see those with so little and very little hope that it's going to get better and yet their faith is a rock star. I have such admiration. But for you, your experience of today is rooted in your hope for tomorrow. History is moving to a place, a place where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. My life, your life, this is the hope our lives will never be, even for a second, meaningless. Based not on circumstances, but hope. And Easter is a reminder of hope. Number three. So we've covered that the resurrection means Jesus is king. You are not. The resurrection fills life with hope. Number three, the resurrection means justice matters. And maybe you haven't thought about this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means social justice matters. It's a huge highlight of today. 
Today, the resurrection of Jesus is going to be met with widespread skepticism. If you go to work or to school tomorrow and you walk up to someone in the lunchroom or you go to a coworker and say, hey, do you mind if we grab a cup, cup, a cup of coffee and sit and talk about the resurrection? That individual most likely is going to walk away from you at best. This is how the resurrection is met. But even if one can't believe that it's true, I want to suggest to you today, we should believe it's true. Follow me and stay with me on this. Why? Why should we believe it's true even if we don't believe it's true? Why? Because we care about justice. Alleviating poverty. Hunger. Child and adult abuse. And diseases. We care about bringing an end to bigotry and sexism, and racism. We care about stopping political corruption, and school shootings, and church bombings. And there's certainly more that we could add to that list. And now most of us would agree those things are wrong. Most of us in this room or listening online, we would all raise our hand and say, yes, those things are wrong. But at the same time, the world in which we live, we also say that the material world in which we live was caused by an accident. And so ultimately, there's no meaning to this life. So on one hand, it bothers us that more people don't care about justice but on the other hand, the prevalent secular world undermines the very motivation in our culture to care for people. The two don't work. So life under that worldview becomes just about me, not about people. If it becomes about people, there has to be a reason for it. You cannot say life is meaningless. There is, it is without hope. It is without a creation. It is without something of given to us in love and then say we should then turn around and love. Why? There's no reason for it. And, and the argument can't just be because. My point is this. It's the existence of God demonstrated in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that provides the moral basis, the moral compass for all of humanity. That's where it's rooted. That's where it's found. It provides the simple basis for caring for people. Without Jesus, there's no justice. So why believe in the resurrection? Well, my hope is you would believe in the resurrection so you can have eternal life. So that you could spend the rest of your life one day with and in the presence of Jesus. But if you're not there yet, I want to implore you to believe in the resurrection because that means we care for people. We care for those without a voice. We care for the lost. We care for the broken. We care for the least of these. That's what we do. And so finally, and I'll close with this, the resurrection means 
there is forgiveness. Now, I don't know about you, but boy, do I need forgiveness. Boy, do I need forgiveness on a regular basis. Ask Sandy. There's a story of a CEO. If you're a CEO in this room, apologize. There's a story of a CEO that wandered out of his office one night, late, late at work, standing in front of the shredder, and one of the brand new employees just happened to be staying late, walked out, kind of froze a little bit, seeing this famous CEO standing there look, looking confused, and the new employee walked over to him and said, hey, uh, can I help you with anything? And the CEO said, yeah, you know how to work this thing? Typical CEO. New employee said, yeah, absolutely, I can help you with that. And he goes, okay, perfect. This is a highly confidential, critical document. And he goes, oh, no problem. Turns on the shredder and puts it in there and shreds it. Looks to the CEO and the CEO says, perfect, I just need one copy. <laughs> Some of you are gonna get that later. That's a bad day. <laughs> Did you just get it? So good. If you get it in less than a minute, you're clear. You, you take more than a minute, that's up to you. Isn't that how it is with us and Jesus? do something wrong we do our own thing we do whatever we want and the CEO our king is standing before us and we screw it up yeah it's a funny story I hope the story goes on to say that the CEO forgave him because if he fired him it screws up the analogy on a sermon so for my sake, let's just say he forgave him. That's what we do. We do our own thing. The Bible has a word for that. It's called sin. Don't overthink it. Don't make it more difficult than it needs to be. It's doing our own thing. It's doing what we want. And the Bible says that Jesus came to die for the sin. Good Friday reminds us that King Jesus hung on the cross. As Alex told us earlier, there he is adorned with a crown of thorns. And the world thinks it's thwarting all of God's hopes and dreams. But really, it's fulfilling the prophecy that Festus and Agrippa knew it would come. And three days later, he is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen from the grave. The blood was shed on Friday to make sure that our tab was clean. And on Sunday, death was defeated. 
so that you and I never have to fear death, so that we never have to fear who's in charge, that we never have to fear who is the ruler, that we never have to turn on the news and see heartache and destruction and death and bombings and wonder what is going on. Good Sunday, Easter Sunday, Holy Sunday reminds us we have a hope not of this world, not of this planet, not of our job, not of our retirement, not of our kids or our spouse or our successes, not even when life is hard, not even when life sucks, but we have a hope that is a firm foundation that nothing can shake it. On Good Friday, the earthquakes happened. The thunder rolled. The, 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 the veil was torn in two. Life itself was unstable. And on Sunday, everything fell into place just as he said. Go now and quickly tell his disciples, for he has risen. And that is our hope. Do you know this Jesus? Do you know this King Jesus? I plead with you to give him a chance. I plead with you to drop your guard and just explore. I plead with you to allow him to love you. And I plead with you to allow your life to be turned upside down in hope and in love for he is good all the time. We read this in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Do you know this eternal life? Are you resting in forgiveness? Are you king or is Jesus king? Do you love justice? This is Easter. And we sing and we celebrate at the top of our lungs because he is good. Let's pray together. So God, as we go into a time of, of more worship, as we, as we sing and um, clap and smile and smell flowers and eat, unhealthy donuts and talk together and hang out together. It is for you. It is because of you. You are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. You are the Alpha. You are the Omega. You are the beginning and the end. You are in the whisper. You are in the shouting. You are in the smiles. You are in the tears. You are in the joy. You are in the heartache. Death could not hold you. So we praise you, worthy royal King of kings and Lord of lords. May even the rocks and the mountains cry out to you this day in praise and join with the church around the world to declare Jesus Christ is Lord. Would you stand with us and let's sing.